The Old Testament reading is taken from 2 Kings chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord send, has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went to Elijah, Elijah and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak rolled it up and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I am taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Hmm. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah saw this and cried out, My father, my father, a chariot and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw him no more.
Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Dear Lord, still our minds and open our hearts that we may receive the word you have for us today. In Christ we pray. Amen. The New Testament lesson is from the ninth chapter of Mark. Hear God's word. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were alone. He was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had been raised from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. One of the things I've noticed in the two weeks I've been at IPC is there's a lot of change going on. There's change in leadership of the congregation. Just a few weeks ago, you elected new council members who are coming to their first meeting to observe on Tuesday night. You said goodbye to your beloved pastor, and the pastor search committee is hard at work looking for the person God is calling to come lead you in the next chapter of your life together. But it's not just in the congregation as a body that there's a lot of change going on. There's a lot of change in individual lives as well. Since I've been here, I've heard stories about uh, the challenges of adjusting to uh, new culture, a new job. That's not unusual in an international congregation like this. People learning new languages, lots of change going on in people who have come from other lands. Many spouses who aren't employed are dealing with big changes in their lives. Many have put their careers on hold to come here and they're wrestling with that challenge of trying to figure out who they are aside from their work. Many are adjusting to new roles as parents, facing the demands of staying at home with a beautiful and demanding little child, discovering aspects of ourselves, some of which we like and some of which we don't. Of course, it's not just expats who deal with change. Many who've lived here your whole lives have told me about some of the changes that that you're going through. 
Some of you are getting ready to graduate and face that transition into university or a job. Some are facing changes in employment, some voluntary and some not. Some are getting ready to retire and you're working on how do I define myself now outside of my work? What do I say when people ask, well, what do you do? And then there are those of us of a certain age who are very aware of the changes in our body, who've noticed how the steps seem to get slightly steeper, and that name of the person you just met takes a little bit longer to pop up in your memory. Today's scripture lessons are about moments of change, points of transition. In the Old Testament lesson, Elijah passes his mantle on to Elisha to take over as God's main prophet in Israel. The New Testament lesson gives us a, a story of Jesus showing his three disciples some insight into the change that he's getting ready to bring about, not just in their own lives, but in all creation. And in those two stories of change, there are some things that we can learn about how God works through change in our lives as individuals and as a congregation. One of the things to notice about those changes is that they're part of an ongoing story. Even though they marked something new, they were rooted in what had happened before. You may remember the story that's found in the book of First Kings about God speaking to Elijah in a still, small voice. Elijah had fled his persecutor, Queen Jezebel, and gone to a mountain in the wilderness. As he hid in a cave, a great wind came by, hurricane force. There was a, a strong earthquake and a fierce fire. And then after all of that, there was a quiet stillness. And in that stillness, God spoke to Elijah. Now, lots of sermons and devotions have been written about how we should listen for God in the quiet and the stillness, and I've contributed my share. But when God spoke in that silence, God had a particular message for Elijah. And that message was to summon, among other things, was to summon Elisha to carry on the work that Elijah was already doing. Elijah was to keep reminding Israel of their covenant with God and calling them back to it. When Elisha had that big change in his life where he picked up the mantle of his mentor, he was part of that ongoing story of God calling Israel back to himself. On the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament lesson, Peter, James, and John saw Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, it's tempting to think of Jesus' ministry as something completely new, unlike 
anything God had ever done before. And God was doing a new thing in Jesus. It was a part of what God had been doing since the beginning of time. One of the earliest heresies of the church was the belief that, well, now that Jesus has come, we don't have any more use for the Old Testament as our scripture. Maybe you've heard people talk about the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament as if they are two separate gods. Well, remember, when Jesus says he came to fulfill the scriptures, what he was talking about was what we call the Old Testament. When Jesus was talking, the New Testament hadn't even been written yet. And the two main parts of the Old Testament are the law, which was delivered by Moses, and the prophets, of whom Elijah was the greatest. So here at the Transfiguration, Jesus is talking with Moses and Elijah. And he was making it clear that he was part of this ongoing story of God's dealings with humanity. It was a new chapter in the story, a fulfillment of what had gone before, but it was the same God, the same ancient story. And that tells us something about how God works in the changes of our lives. The God who has been with us in the past is the same God who is with us through every change we face. My son went to a university run by Jesuits. While he was there, I became intrigued with some of the spiritual practices of that order of priests. One practice which I found helpful is the practice of the daily examine. Maybe some of you practice that. It works like this. At the end of each day, or if you're like me, first thing in the morning, if you're too tired to do it at night, you review in your mind the events of the day that's gone before. You envision that day like a movie. As you replay the movie in your mind, you notice what you did, what you saw, people you encountered. And as you do, you notice where was God present in each of those moments. Perhaps it was in some kindness you received, some unexpected grace, maybe in a glimpse of beauty like a snowy mountain peak or the song of a bird. And each time in your mind's eye you see something or someone in which you get a glimpse of God at work, then you give thanks. But you also notice those places where it was hard to see God at work, perhaps in some harsh words that were exchanged, or a painful loss, or something you saw in the news about some act of cruelty or injustice. Those things you lift up to God in prayer, asking forgiveness for those moments when you let God down, asking for help in the challenges that you or a loved one is, has faced, 
asking for God's peace and strength for those places where there's suffering and need. The practice of the daily examine, where you notice what God has done for you in the past, helps attune you, helps you notice God when God comes before you in the day that is to come. When we face changes in our lives, graduation, a new job, relocation, retirement, some loss, we can look back over our life and notice those places where we, God was with us. And that reminds us that our life is not a series of disjointed episodes, but the ongoing story of God's wonderful, loving work. Another thing to notice about the stories we read today is that God is giving people a particular part in that story. Sometimes when we're faced with change, we're pretty clear about what we're leaving behind, but we don't really know what we're getting ourselves into. For Elisha, the path was pretty clear. In inheriting the mantle of Elijah, he became God's prophet in Israel. And in doing that, he took on that task of performing miracles, speaking God's word of justice and purity to those who are in power and were leading Israel away from God. The specifics of what Peter, James, and John were supposed to do once they came down from the mountain were not so clear. You remember how God spoke to them in a cloud as God often does. Well, Peter botched it from the start. He offered to put up three tents to commemorate the event, which Jesus politely ignored. The only instruction they had on that mountain was the voice of God, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. That instruction's pretty broad. I suspect that it wasn't long before the disciples found themselves in situations where they wished they had some more specific directions about what to do. There have been plenty of times when I would have welcomed some clearer instructions, maybe a, a manual from God about what God wanted me to do. I mean, wouldn't it be great if God had given a handbook with detailed instructions on parenting that tell you exactly how much time your kid should spend on social media. Or if God had written a handbook, divinely inspired and clear beyond a shadow of a doubt, what a church's webpage should look like in order to best uh, communicate its mission to the world. The instruction God did give was listen to him. And that's good no matter how radically things change over the course of 2,000 years. 1 Corinthians 12 in the New Testament compares the vast body of believers, the church, 
to Christ's body. In our baptism, we're incorporated into that body, each with a different gift to bring to it. When we're faced with a new situation and don't know what we to do, God's words to the apostles on the mountain are the same ones to us. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Of course, we do that through prayer. We do it through careful study of the scripture where we become more and more familiar with the character of God so we can recognize God's spirit when we see it. We listen to him through the voice of trusted friends when we hear God speaking to us through their loving presence. Times of change can be times when God is leading us into new directions, doing that same work of God's reign, but in some new way for which we've been equipped. That's what IPC is doing during this time of change. God calls each congregation to a particular ministry that's unique to its location, its gifts, the people whom God has placed in it. It also has to do with the spiritual maturity, the readiness of the congregation to accept levels of challenge in the work God has has set out. The church council is leading the congregation in prayerfully engaging in that process of discernment in the coming months. And I'm sure that the person whom God is calling to be your new pastor is doing that, trying to discern if the spiritual gifts and skills God has given him or her are what God needs here at IPC. Whatever that mission is, is going to be grounded in this congregation's rich history. You're not going to start from new, uh, 100% from fresh, uh, anew. It'll build on the work that's been done here under the leadership of Doug and your other pastors over the years. But it won't be a repeat of the past. It'll be what God's reign needs for this time in this place, in a world that's constantly changing. And finally, we may not know where God is leading us until we finally get there. Luke's gospel says that when Jesus came down from the mountain, he turned his face to Jerusalem, to the cross. That's why he told his disciples not to tell anyone what they'd just seen, that glorious transfiguration. They could not understand what Jesus was calling them into or the glory of Je- what the glory of Jesus means until after he had gone through his suffering and death on the cross. One of the things about Moses and Elijah the two with whom Jesus spoke on the mountain, one of the things that's notable about them is how their life on earth ended. Moses peacefully went up to the top of a mountain, 
looked out over the promised land where God was taking his people and then peacefully died at a ripe old age. Elijah was lifted up with a chariot of fire without having to undergo any illness or wounds or injuries. Jesus, on the other hand, was tortured, humiliated, died a drawn-out death of agony on the cross. If I had a choice, I'll take a death like Moses or Elijah's any day. Thank you. For most of my relatively sheltered life, I was put off by some branches of the Christian church that have crucifixes in their sanctuary, images of Jesus suffering and bleeding on the cross. I much prefer the empty Protestant cross. It's much cleaner, less gruesome, and after all, Jesus did come down from the cross. But as I got more acquainted with some of the communities around the world where residents live less sheltered lives, less sheltered from violence and suffering than the places where I grew up, I became more sympathetic with that focus on Jesus' suffering, on his blood and the adoration of his wounds. It's not something I do, but I appreciate it more. For many of those people, violence and suffering and death are part of everyday life. And in that suffering Savior, they know the God of power and might suffers along with them. Just because he's risen doesn't mean he's left them behind. He shares their pain and their tears. And in their very weakness, they find the strength of God. The hope of the gospel is that God is alongside us and sweeps us up into the glorious work God is doing. The work of bringing the whole creation back to God. As it says in Romans chapter 8, we wait with the whole creation to be set free from bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And often, it's in the pain and confusion of life's changes that we're most likely to encounter God. I have a friend who was a lawyer in a job that crushed her spirit. She was an alcoholic and in an unhealthy relationship with her boyfriend. She hadn't set foot in a church in years, but one Easter morning she woke up and something told her to go to the closest church. And so she called her boyfriend And there they were on the third row of the church where I was the pastor. She heard for the first time again in years that story of the resurrection and the new creation that Jesus has begun. Well, to make a long story short, she and her boyfriend recommitted their lives to Christ. 
She used her training as a lawyer to start a local chapter of Habitat for Humanity to build housing for low-income people. She found another job that she found life-giving. She started on the road to addiction recovery. She and her boyfriend realized that they really weren't meant for each other and moved on to different relationships. Recently, she retired, and she could look back over the last 30 years and see how God has directed her. But when she walked into that church on Easter morning, she had no idea where that decision was taking her. When our lives and the life of the church belong to Jesus, we know that the one who has been with us so far is with us still. We know we're given a place in the work God is doing to bring peace and justice and goodness to all creation, whether it's in our classroom, our boardroom, our hospital room. On the cross, Jesus shows us we matter to God. What we do matters. And one day, we can look back and see where God has brought us. And we'll know that the place he's brought us is where we're supposed to be. In the presence of God, who is with us all along. To God be all glory, honor, and praise, now and forever. Amen.